Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He kind of illustrates for us that God has more than one choice when we say no. You know, there are some people who actually believe that if I'm unfaithful, God can't get his work done. If I don't pray, or I don't preach, or I don't, or I don't, or I don't, the problem with that is that the emphasis is on the wrong person. It's on me. And the truth is, God's going to get his thing done no matter what I decide to do. We're back in the first 12 verses of Matthew 16 as we complete Pastor Sam's message, A Sign from Heaven. As Jesus calls out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, he does not withhold any punches, but also he does not withhold grace, as it was not his will that they should perish, despite their actions towards him. Here the request is for a sign, but it's a sign from heaven. Show us a sign from heaven. We know they were testing him, and so the request, show us a sign from heaven. Now, at Jesus' temptation, Satan suggested the very same thing. As he was there on the pinnacle of the temple, second temptation, Satan says, hey, I got one for you. Throw yourself down, because, I mean, doesn't the scripture say he'll give his angels charge over you to bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone? Satan actually quotes scripture. Now, he doesn't quote it in its entirety because if he continue on, and this often happens, there's some things that wouldn't go so good for him. But, but at this point, he's just saying, here, make a splash. Well, no, not really. Just jump off. You won't splatter, I promise. And didn't the father promise? Hey, he'll give his angels charge over you. What's Jesus' response to that? Listen. Whenever someone suggests, be it the devil or your best friend or even your spouse, if they suggest something unbiblical, then you need to be able to say, it is written. And that's what Jesus said. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That can have a double meaning and no doubt in that context does. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering, why would he say my spouse? Hey, when Job was suffering severely, just going through it, he lost everything. You know his wife's counsel to him? She said, Job... Why don't you just curse God and die, buddy, you know? Just curse God and die. Now, that's not godly counsel. And I thank God for, for wives who give godly counsel, but anyone can give wrong counsel, and that was bad counsel. So, so the, the thing is you've got to know what's written. It's a little too late to say, well, I'm sure the, the, the Scripture has something to say about that, honey, you know? No, it's like you've got to know it already. And Jesus says, it is written, again, because it was a second temptation. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't test God. And so, in essence, he'd be saying, hey, I'd be tempting the Father to do such a thing, and I won't do it. And by the way, Satan was tempting Jesus at that moment, and you're not to tempt the Lord your God. So there's that double application. I won't tempt the Father, and you shouldn't be tempting me, testing me. Well, Jesus' response here is profound, as you would expect. He answered and said, when it's evening, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. He says, you guys are amateur meteorologists and you're not all that un inaccurate as far as being able to tell the weather, to look at the sky and figure out what's coming. But he calls them, the first of three things he calls them, three, three things he calls them, and you want to make sure that you are none of these three. First of all, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern 
the sign of the times. Two other things he calls them is wicked and adulterous. So hypocrites, wicked, and adulterous. We'll deal with those three terms in a moment. But he says, you know how to discern the face of the sky. You can figure out what the weather's going to be, but you don't realize the times in which you're living. Now, if you read through Daniel, back in chapter 9, there he is. He's, well, he's living in Babylon because as a young man, he was exported there and uh, taken captive and taken to Babylon. He's been living there and, and functioning there for, well, quite a while now because the 70-year captivity was just about up. And Daniel was in the Word and he was contemplating the Word and he realized that, man, it's about time to go home. This whole thing's about to wind down. And so we're told that he, he began to fast and to pray. He was in the word, he was fasting and praying, and there came this glorious revelation from heaven, where in the latter part of Daniel 9, God says to Daniel, and then now through Daniel, as we can read it at our leisure, he says, hey, know this, from the, the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild there in Jerusalem, until the coming of Messiah, the Prince, it will be, and he begins to lay out a time frame for him. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus rides into and, and is right there by Jerusalem, he weeps for the city and he says, if only you'd known this your day, if only you'd known this your time. You see, he held them accountable. Daniel could simply read the scripture and, and say, hey, it's about time. Do you know that the Bible says when all these things, our Lord and Jesus says, when all these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. What things was he talking about? Well, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. And then he talks about some of the other signs. And of course, the skeptic says, hey, there have always been wars, there have always been famines, there have always been pestilence, there's always been earthquakes, yes. But, but he likens them to birth pangs. And he says, when you see these growing in intensity and frequency, hey, it's about time. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Now, they were living in different times, but I bring this to your attention for two reasons. He held them accountable for the times they were living in and to know what time it was. You know, a lot of people were expecting Messiah to come at Jesus' birth. The wise men certainly headed the right direction. They knew basically where and when, and they came, they wanted to know, where exactly is this going down? We saw his star in the east. And so Herod, he goes and he checks with, with his counselors, and they say, well, it's going to be Bethlehem. How would they know that? The scripture said so, you see. So the time of his birth, the place of his birth, the manner of his birth, that it would be miraculous, that the, the nature of his ministry, anyone who wanted to check it out could check it out. And they could know, hey, it's time. He's somewhere around. It's time to look for him. And because he held them accountable, we got to know he'll hold us accountable. He tells us to be wise and, and to be alert, watching, because these days are evil and our enemy goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, well, in any case, he says, you guys, you can discern the weather but, but you're not discerning the times in which you're living. He calls them hypocrites. We talked about this in other contexts. It simply means one who wears a mask, who plays a part, one who's an actor. But you know, you might be the best actor in the world, 
but you should still know you're acting, you see. If you're in a play and, and you somebody videos a play and you watch it later and you actually think you're the person you were playing, you forget you're you, that's them. These guys weren't just acting. They were deceived into thinking they were actually what they were pretending to be. That's a devastating place to be. Putting on a front, putting on a show, but buying your own publicity. Falling into the trap of thinking, hey, I, I must be the real thing. Look at how I act. Look at how people respect me. Look at how people look up to me. That was the Pharisees, you see. And, and that was, in many cases, the Sadducees, too. Pharisees and Sadducees for different reasons. I mean, people who loved the Sadducees and looked up to them, they, they buddied up because they were rich, because they were rationalists, be, be, because they were powerful. People who love the Pharisees, well, it's because they like the idea that if I hang out with real spiritual people, then I'll appear spiritual too. But that's all it was, an appearance of spirituality, but no reality behind it. So he says, hypocrites, you don't want Jesus to call you that, believe me. And so if you, and I, and I don't think, just understand, when I say like, if anybody is like playing a part or putting on a show or being a hypocrite, I'm not suggesting that I think that about you guys. Man, I, I love that you come here hungry for the word and desiring to worship. But I know that we can fall into that trap. That we can begin to put on a front and to pretend that things are better than they are or that we've grown further than we have and doing better than we are. And that's what was happening with them. They were putting on a show, but they were buying the show themselves. And then he calls them wicked. That word needs no explanation. Adulterous, we do need to explain, and here's why. We understand the horrific nature of adultery. It devastates families. It destroys families. It devastates the individuals involved in it. Mentally, emotionally, morally, physically, spiritually. It's a sin that touches every part of the body. But you need to know what he's talking about is even worse. Because he's talking about spiritual adultery. We know it as idolatry. It's possible some of them were into physical adultery. But, but, but Jesus is really saying, listen, you guys, you're worshiping, but you're not really worshiping God. Why? Because you can't get to the Father except through the Son. And they were rejecting the Son, mocking the Son, tempting and testing the Son. And so he says, hey, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given it. You know, if Jesus had stopped there, I'm pausing there for a moment because I got to share something with you. If Jesus had stopped there and just said, no, I'm not giving you a sign, that would have been perfect justice. He was under no obligation to give further light when they were already rejecting the light that he'd given them. I mean, all that he'd done, all that he taught, they could check out, hey, born in the right place, born at the right time, working all those miracles, teaching all the right things, giving all the glory to the Father. I mean, what were they expecting? Who were they expecting? And, and what Jesus says is no sign will be given, and it would have been justice had he stopped there. Illustration of this point. When Abraham... He was called Abram back then and in the day. When Abram first meets God and God says, hey, I'm going to do this and this and this. It's going to be glorious. And he goes, here's what I want from you. I want you to leave this place. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go over there. And I'll talk to you when you get there. And, and, and there's no record in Scripture that there was any communication from heaven until Abraham actually 
reach that destination. Now, am I saying God couldn't have talked to him and absolutely didn't? No, I don't know that for sure. But I do find it interesting that this guy who heard regularly from the Lord, at that point he hears and then until he obeys, well, he doesn't get anything else. And I'm thinking that sometimes the Lord has spoken to us and we know it. He's dealt with us in an area. He's convicted us in an area. And we've even purposed in our mind, Lord, okay, I'll deal with that. I'll stop that or I'll start that or I'll forgive him or, or, or Lord, I'll, whatever the, the situation might be. And, and we've heard from the Lord and we've kind of committed to action, but we don't take any action. And then we find ourselves in a mess and we're crying out to the Lord and we're like, what's wrong? I mean, I'm crying out and it seems like the Lord isn't answering talked about this in an entirely different context recently, but, but I, I want you to track with me on this. It's important. It may just be that the Lord's not going to have anything to say to you. Do the thing you already told him you were going to do, that he already told you to do and gave you to do. It can be that if you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he tells you, why is he obligated to give you anything more until you obey him in the first thing? And why should he continue to pour information or whatever to somebody who's not processing what he's already provided? That was their situation here, you see. That's exactly what was going on. So justice would have been no sign will be given. But here's grace and how I love the concept. If you're not familiar with the word, it means undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. You don't deserve it. You don't merit it. You can't earn it. And he says, no sign except. Man, that is a very wonderful word. Well, sometimes it's not so good. It's sort of like the word but. You know, I really like you, but. That's not always good, see. But, but here, he says except. And that's all good because he's saying no sign except that of the prophet Jonah. Now, he doesn't go into it here, but, but here's the amazing thing. Though the Sadducees have joined the Pharisees, they already met Jesus. They already asked him for a sign. They already had this same answer. He already told them they were evil and adulterous. Now the scribes don't come. They're not going to be insulted again. And, and then the, the, the Sadducees say, well, we'll go with you. So he says, oh, by the way, you too, evil and adulterous, hypocrites. And he says, no sign except that of the prophet Jonah. He leaves out as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I think that part's important, but maybe not in this context. The reason it's important is Jesus takes this rebellious rascal of a prophet and, and he says, you see what happened to him? Something like that's going to happen to me. Entirely different reasons, of course. Jonah suffered because of his own sin. Jesus suffered because of your sin and mine. Jonah suffered because he ran and rebelled. Jesus suffered because he, he didn't run. He didn't rebel. He didn't resist. Jonah was an unfaithful witness. Jesus was a faithful witness. Even when Jonah finally got with the program, and if you read the story carefully, it was still reluctant. I mean, God got him there, you know, thrown overboard, swallowed by the fish, deposited on the shores, long trek, gets there, preaches 40 days and you're dead, you're dead meat, you know, your history. And then the whole place, all of Nineveh repents. And Jonah sits under a tree and he says, I knew it, I, I knew it, I, I hate this about you, you're merciful, you're, you're compassionate. It's like, how could you? See, Jonah was a guy that, it was like, mercy for me, Lord, justice for them. God, please be good to me, but just give them what they deserve. 
And I think sometimes we can be that way. We can be a little hard-hearted. And we can actually start thinking we deserve the blessings we're receiving. Well, after all the prayer and all the Bible study and all the... No, it's still grace. It's grace from beginning to end. But but, but the deal with Jonah, and, and, and there's another thought. I know I've shared this with some of you before. The deal with Jonah is he kind of illustrates for us that God has more than one choice when we say no. You know, there are some people who actually believe that if I'm unfaithful, God can't get his work done. If I don't pray or I don't preach or I don't or I don't or I don't, the problem with that is that the emphasis is on the wrong person. It's on me. And the truth is, God's going to get his thing done no matter what I decide to do. And he's got options, you see. He can tell me to do something and I can resist and rebel. We're all capable of that. I'll use me so you don't feel like I'm picking on you. I can resist and rebel. I can say, I'll forgive everybody, but not that person, Lord. Not, no, I don't, okay, I'll forgive them, but don't make me be nice to them. Well, okay, well, I'll smile at them, but don't think I'm going to like it, you know. And, and, and I can work through all those things just like anybody else. And the Lord can say, hey, look, it's not working out. I'm going to use somebody else. He does that. Sometimes he gives a, a job to someone and they just won't do it or they don't do it. And he says, all right, you lose the blessing. You lose the opportunity. But get this. Sometimes he says, no, I think I'll have you do it anyway. And you're like, well, I'm not going to do it yet. Well, we'll see. And, uh, you know, you read the story. I don't want to rebel against the Lord for a whole lot of reasons. I don't want to mess up my family. I don't want to stumble this fellowship. And I certainly don't want to end up in the belly of a fish, you know. And somebody said once that God is a fish for everybody. And I'm not into it. I don't want to do it. I'd rather obey readily and, and joyfully. And I don't want to grumble about what God does and blessing people I may feel undeserved or you know don't deserve those blessings or are undeserving of those blessings. But, but he just says, no sign except that of the prophet Jonah. You see, these religious leaders, they were just like Jonah. They, they, they thought, hey, I serve the Lord, I do God's thing. But, but inwardly, they were running and rebelling and resisting, refusing to acknowledge Jesus. So his disciples come to the other side, and they'd forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, to show you how confused these guys could get, and often were, They begin to reason among themselves, verse 7, saying, it's because we've taken no bread. I mean, picture this. They've had all this stuff going on, and Jesus says, beware of the leaven. Certainly leaven here, used in an evil sense. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Thomas looks at Peter and says, you forgot the bread. That's what this is about. And Peter's like, I thought Philip was bringing the bread. And, and they're like over there talking among themselves and all tripping on it. And yeah, he's all upset because we didn't bring him any bread. <laughs> I wonder about these guys. It makes me feel better about us. Because if these are the guys he personally chose and trained, I mean, he was there. They were with him. They saw it. They heard it. I mean, he discipled them. And this is where they're at. Well, it means there's hope for us, you see. And and when Jesus perceived it, he said, Oh, you of little faith, how gracious he is. I, I would think he could have said a lot more harsher things. But he said, You of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Don't you yet understand or remember 
the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I don't speak to you concerning bread, but that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Now, check it. Here's sort of, they get it. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. How important is it that we connect with good doctrine, sound teaching? Man, it is absolutely essential. Here's why. Doctrine will never be separated from duty. What we believe will ultimately determine how we behave. And so it's not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. Now, the problem with the Pharisees and Sadducees is they were off doctrinally. Oh, they had all the right information and they could have processed it, but they weren't processing it. They weren't processing it. And Jesus' own disciples were confused by a lot of what they were seeing. And no doubt, much of what he was doing was trying to help them through that confusion. But he says, beware the leaven. Beware the doctrine. Beware of the hypocrisy of appearing to be one thing, but inwardly being something entirely different. Beware of materialism and rationalism and, and that power struggle to, to be someone or be something. He says, watch out for all of that. Why? Because these were a very religious group of people greatly respected, as I've already shared, admired in the community. Though they were bitter enemies, they had huge followings. And both groups had hearts that were far from the Lord. So what's God after? Well, he's looking for a relationship. And he sees that these religious leaders, well, they didn't have a relationship with him. They were rejecting him and ridiculing him. Ultimately, they'd hand him over to be crucified and he's saying, that's, that's what religion without a relationship leads to. That's what an appearance of spirituality, well, that's where it's going. Jesus came today, and by the way, he is coming again, but they'll never nail him to a cross again. They'll, they'll never abuse and misuse him. No, when he comes, he's coming in power and in glory to establish his kingdom on this earth. But he's after and about a relationship with us, not religion, not a religious experience. And that relationship can only happen through the cross. That's why all of the teaching of being a good person or, or doing good to others and all of what people think would make them right in the sight of God. Listen, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. What makes us right in the sight of God is we recognize that we aren't right in His sight and we, we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Perhaps today, there are some of you and you're a little bit troubled or tripping because this idea of hypocrisy has hit you and you realize, you know, I, I've played the part a lot. I've, I've pretended to be where I'm not and what I'm not and if that's you, repent. Change that today. Stop and, and confess and say, God, I've played the hypocrite and I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be right with you and for real with you. If that's you, make sure you do it. Make sure you deal with it. Wickedness, Jesus says in the last days, wickedness would abound and it does. Adulterous, 
physically or spiritually, idolatry. Hey, if any of those or anything else we've considered or maybe something I've never mentioned, but something's still spinning in your head that says, you know what, I need to get things right. We want to let you do that today, encourage you to do that today. And I'm convinced that there's not one of us if we still our heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I know there are things you want to deal with in me and, and there's, there's things that need to change, things that need to go, things that need to start. And so, Lord, speak to me and, and, and work in me for real. We have heard the song and we have sang the words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the message from Psalm 139.24 is simple, yet it's critical. If we reach a point in our walk with the Lord where we think we are free from all our wicked ways and no longer need the Lord to change us, we have taken the first step down the same road the religious leaders from our study today walked, to their own destruction. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down The Calvary Road. And your grace.